the Love Your Story podcast. As we share stories around the technological campfire, each story has an antagonist, the character who causes the harm and their path to destruction or learning. But there also, of course, is the other side of the story, the story of the protagonist, those affected by the poor choices of others who get to overcome. Today's guest had an alcoholic father, two alcoholic husbands, and survived multiple sexual assaults and exploitations before the age of 20. Stay tuned as we hear Bethany's story of triumph as we see proof of a 12-step recovery program giving her the strength and insight to overcome, forgive, learn, and take action. A lot of today's episode is about the different paths that show up that help us each individually to find our way to healing. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Bethany Wallace is proof that 12-step recovery programs work if we're willing to do the work. She has spent the past 12 years taking actions, often in spite of her feelings, to become a healthier person. She enjoys life with her husband and daughter in the Ozarks in Arkansas. She loves working with others in recovery and advocating for sexual assault victims and survivors, writing and hiking. Bethany also owns a communications consulting business and partners with mission-minded organizations and companies to improve soft skills and to build a better workplace. Bethany, thank you for being with us to share your story today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So let's start out by doing what we do, which is telling stories. Tell us your story. And since it starts back in your childhood, growing up with an alcoholic father, tell us what that was like. Okay. You know, when I was growing up, it wasn't anything like what it's like now raising my daughter, (laughs) kind of trying to create a different life for her that's going to hopefully leave a different mark on her life. So when I was growing up, I really believed that growing up with the disease of alcoholism or addiction, probably both affected me in lots of different ways. And I often refer to that in terms of imprinting, which, you know, is they talk about like with baby animals when they're born, like They'll look at the mother or whoever is there first, and they see that adult animal. And then they're always trying to follow after that, an adult who looks like that animal. So if a duck is sitting on a nest of baby chickens, then those baby chicks see the duck and they think that's my mother. And they're looking for a mother who looks like that duck all the time. So I think that that is what sort of happened with me and my father and probably the same thing for my sisters that our dad was had a lot of good qualities. I will say that just because he was had a major problem with drugs didn't mean that he didn't have good qualities. However, his disease really kept him from 
you know, fathering the way that he probably would have if he hadn't had an addiction. So I always, for really the rest of my childhood, adolescence, and early adulthood was looking for someone like my dad. And that wasn't necessarily a good thing because what I saw for my dad was inconsistent parenting and, you know, a lot of in and out of our lives, um, not able to be there for us financially, not, you know, and those sorts of things, taking us to places that weren't really safe when he did have us for, you know, visits or vacation and things like that. So I understand this idea of, you know, looking for what you understand and what you're comfortable with and what you know. But I would guess that this time with your father, was he a mean alcoholic? Were there things that felt dangerous or negative or scary about being around him? No, he, you know, that's the thing I think is a big misconception about, um, you know, people who aren't, don't have someone in their lives who's an alcoholic or an addict. You know, sometimes you get like what's on the movies or TV and you just get that in your head is like, that's what it is. But everyone is different because everybody has a different personality. And when people are abusing or addicted, it comes out in different ways for different people. And so, and I will say, you know, with the experience with my dad and then also with being married to two people who had problems with alcoholism and addiction, they it all sort of um, displayed itself in different ways with each of them. So for my dad, he was just the kind of person who sort of disappeared when he was in a bad period with drugs. He didn't want to be around us, I think, because even though he wasn't able to be there for us in the way he wanted to, he also didn't want to be there for us and display that negative side of himself. So I'm grateful for that, actually. That makes a little more sense then, because if you were in a really traumatic sort of a space with him, and then, you know, it, it would seem that even though that's what you knew, that you wouldn't want to pattern after that. But he was a calmer alcoholic. And so that probably made the imprinting of being able to accept and recognize that in your husband's something that didn't seem as traumatic? I think so. And also just having like, it it seems more normal to me to look for people who the substance abuse didn't bother me so much as long as there wasn't violence and sort of really outrageous things that went along with it. And my dad did do things that, you know, it's funny how You also, I think when you grow up with it and you're around it for a long time, it becomes normal. Uh, Even if it's unhealthy, it just becomes normal. So there were things that my dad did that seemed normal just because that's what we grew up with. You know, like a few times he took us with him when he was going to, I'm sure it was to go pick up drugs, you know, looking back on it. But at the time, we didn't really understand what was going on. He would tell us these stories about what (laughs) we were going to do, but, uh, you know, like, just these tall tales like we're gonna go I have to go pick up these drugs because I'm an undercover cop and these people are doing bad things and so don't tell anyone what we're doing and if I'm gonna lock the doors and roll up the windows and leave them just little crack open so if anyone comes to the door don't open the door because we're on a secret mission (laughs) and we were going to like you know a very dangerous neighborhood to do this and you know there were four kids in the car and I was definitely old enough to know it was an unsafe environment and it was just crazy you know you look back on those things and it's totally crazy what you go through when you're raised in that sort of situation of course we weren't with him most of the time most of the time we were with my mom but even in those brief times when we were with my dad or went through things like that it just seemed 
sort of like an adventure more than like something really scary or bad. It sounds like he made it that way on purpose. Oh, yeah, yeah. And also, I think that that sort of played into my idea of I really love my dad and kind of in juxtaposition to what it was like with my dad was what it was like with my mom. And my mom was really in denial about my dad's issues. So she was not happy that he wasn't paying child support, but she wanted us to have a relationship with him in spite of his using drugs. And she just didn't see him as an addict. She just thought that he used drugs too often. So she would tell him when you have the girls, just don't do that stuff. And she would believe him, you know, and it was more important for her that we had the chance to spend time with him or get to know him or maintain contact with him. And I think she was doing the best that she could at the time. You know, she just really didn't want us to be alienated from him. I don't know that... Um, any of us ever told her any of the scary stuff that we <laughs> saw or experienced because I think we didn't want her to be more scared. And also we liked spending time with him. What's your relationship with him like now? My dad and I actually are in good on good terms. I wouldn't say that we're like super close, but he lives several states away and he's actually clean today and not using. That's fantastic. Yeah. So he's doing much better. He's had a pretty long road. It took him going to prison actually to get sort of have like a a real bottom to hit bottom before he quit. Sometimes it does. So back to your story. After growing up with your alcoholic father, then that seemed the norm and you were naturally sought out husbands, it sounds like, who fit that norm. So tell us the story of your involvement with the alcoholic husbands. Really, from the time I began dating, I was drawn to people who I would say were troubled or at least I wouldn't necessarily say like the bad boys, but just people who seem to have some sort of spiritual void or, you know, it's sort of like a hole spiritually. And I enjoyed those relationships, even though they seem to be more fraught with conflict or a little more dramatic. And I'm not sure how that exactly relates to my relationship with my dad, but I'm sure that it does. (laughs) And so... I know that I was enmeshed with people who, and lots of codependency with people like that, especially, you know, the romantic relationships that I have were like that. How did your marriages end then? Was it due to the alcohol? Yes. Like my first marriage, I stayed married to him for almost six years. And I didn't really discover his drinking problem until about a year and a half in. And I think probably part of that was just my denial and naivete because my mom and my stepdad just didn't drink much around us unless it was like casually drinking a beer and, you know, watching football or something. And so he hid his drinking from me pretty well. And so I kind of didn't notice or ignored the signs that it was heavier. And then I saw some financial records that really alerted me that it was a problem. But I stayed in the marriage partly because of my religious background is very against divorce. And also he has a daughter who I'm still very close to. And I was just committed to trying to be there for her. And that's another thing that I think is characteristic of people who love alcoholics and addicts and are in those relationships is we often will sacrifice ourselves for the sake of other people, even when it's totally to our detriment. 
And so I stayed way longer than I probably should have or whatever. I don't regret that today just because I've kind of, you know, worked the steps and learned so much about myself through that. But we finally divorced and, you know, it just got messier and and uglier as it went on. So what was the relationship like if you didn't realize that he was an alcoholic, then I'm guessing, you know, same situation that you answered your father that, you know, he didn't come home drunk. He wasn't a mean drunk. I mean, you weren't seeing any of that. But once you notice the records, the credit card bills with, you know, that indicate how much he was drinking, did that just cause contention or what was that marriage actually like? Actually, what I think that it brought out in me was a lot of controlling behavior. I just began to try to manage or control his drinking in every way possible. Like, I mean, you name it, I tried to do it. Like, cry to manipulate him, beg, pray for him. You know, I did like lots of women's Bible studies, read books about, you know, here's how to pray for your husband to get what you want. Or, (laughs) I mean, just crazy stuff. Like, anything that I could think of that might get him to quit, I was willing to do it. And to try anything, you know, just all sorts of almost like ways to experiment to get what you want in your marriage, I guess. What was he like in your marriage? You know, he just kept doing what he was doing. He did become, I would say, I don't know if it was quite the edge of like verbally abusive, but it was definitely teetering on that. You know, there was never like a lot of acting out. He really just wanted to be left alone to after work, sit in the recliner, drink beer and watch TV. And not just drink beer, but like, you know, drink excessively. And I just wasn't okay with that. And so I was going to do whatever I needed to do to stop it. And of course, it was affecting our finances negatively. And I felt very burdened with taking care of his daughter. And of course, I sort of, I felt like I was, you know, just this victim that was taking care of a kid that wasn't mine. And a lot of times I think that that, you know, later when I entered a 12-step program and was able to reflect on that time, I realized I probably missed a lot of great opportunities to just enjoy the good parts of that because my relationship with my stepdaughter, who is now, I guess, my former stepdaughter, is so great. And even once I started the 12-step program, our relationship just became better and better. And at that time, I was so stressed all the time from trying to control and manage the drinking that I just didn't enjoy being in the present. I could never enjoy my present life. So what was the second marriage like? Something similar? Oh, totally similar because, you know, I didn't really have the tools. I wasn't in a program yet. So I didn't have any tools to pick anyone much different. (laughs) I just picked someone who I thought was slightly better and that was okay. And I didn't want to be alone. I think I was very scared of being alone, especially in terms of finances. And I was left with this house that I really couldn't afford by myself. And so the idea of just being with someone who was... Like I had this little, very short list of like, is he currently drinking or using? No, he was going to 12 step meetings every single day. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. What I really didn't know at the time, because I didn't have any experience with recovery is if the person doesn't have like a lot of years in recovery, then there's still this very, you know, iffy period when just someone who's new in recovery at any point could go and use again. And just like anyone, you know, it's so volatile. 
Is and that where you met him? Was it the 12-step program? No, I met him at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, yeah, that's that's just a winner waiting to happen. So, and I was impressed. I mean, this tells you like how I say that I was just looking for someone slightly better because I was impressed that he wasn't drinking, but was at the bar. And he said, you know, I can't drink because I have, I'm going to meetings. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're my hero. So immediately, I mean, when I say immediately, I mean like seriously, almost immediately we moved in together and I was just like sold on him. He did, you know, like every alcoholic or addict, like every person, he had some good qualities too, but only about six months after we have been together, he relapsed and started using again. And about that same time, he cheated on me and I flipped out, of course. Well, I say, of course, maybe everybody wouldn't, but I did. And he told me that... If I didn't go to 12-step meetings myself, for me, not, not the same kind that he did, that he was going to leave me. Which I look back on that now and I think that's hilarious. But at the time, I took him so seriously and I was like, okay, I'll do it. But, you know, in the 12-step programs, we always say it doesn't matter what got you here. It matters what keeps you here. Was that the instigator that awakened you to your own need for recovery or that, yeah, got you into the 12-step program? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When he told me to go, I really still wasn't sure that I needed to go, but I was just willing to go because I was so codependent. So when did Um, it kick in that you needed to be there and that it had something valuable for you? I think honestly, after only like the first, probably the second meeting, the first meeting I went to was a huge meeting and I don't remember anything about it. The second meeting I went to, I only had about 15 people and people were just sharing a lot more candidly. And I was like, oh my gosh, I relate to every single thing people are saying. The 12-step program is for people who have alcoholics in their lives and how to deal with it. Is that correct? Right. Like loved ones. And at that second meeting, I asked a woman who I sort of was acquainted with after the meeting, I said, somebody said in that meeting something about having a sponsor, which is basically like a mentor, but with a little more oomph, Um, (laughs) like someone who really actually gives you assignments and like leadership. And so I said, like a guide also through the steps. And I said, somebody mentioned something about having a sponsor, but I don't have one. And so what do I do about that? She's like, well, you should probably go to a couple more meetings and, you know, wait. And you kind of pick somebody who, you know, meshes with you well. And I said, oh no, I don't have time for that. I need to get, I need to do that right away. So will you sponsor me? She was like, whoa, this is like your second meeting. (laughs) I was like, I don't care. So that was sort of my MO through, or it always has been since I started attending meetings is I don't want to do anything halfway, which I probably got that from my mom, which she had a sort of profane way of saying halfway, but she's always told us, you know, if anything's worth doing, it's not worth doing halfway. And which actually, you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says the same thing, which like, it says half measures availed us nothing um, in the big book. And I really love that quote because constantly in the program for me, anytime that things aren't working well, it's usually because I've kind of slacked off, even if it's just a little bit. 
Yeah, it totally makes sense. Here's a question for you, though, that I think would be interesting to understand, which is, originally, I said, what happened to awaken you from your own need for recovery? And the question for me comes up, recovery from what? Recovery from the mindset of living with alcoholics and staying in that in that vein or recovery from, anyway, recovery from what? I know the 12-step program that for people who have loved ones that are alcoholics or addicts is to help them deal with that. But dealing with it feels different than recovering from something. Can you just clarify those ideas for me? Oh, yeah. You know, when I first started going to meetings and, well, really just going to meetings because, you know, I didn't jump in and just start digging into step work right away and nobody does. But just listening, I discerned like these people have something I don't. And even though they're sharing similar experiences about their past, they're talking about it differently. Like they have a lot of joy. They're even grateful for some of the stuff that I'm currently living in that they used to live in. And that didn't make any sense to me. And they laughed a lot. So basically, I wanted what they had, and I became like willing to go to any lengths to get it. So recovery for me was, I wanted to see things differently. I wanted to live differently. I wanted to figure out how to make different choices, but I really didn't know how. And I felt like I was just stuck in this rut, which really was like a rut of being a victim. But I really felt at the time when I first started coming to meetings, I felt like I did not have a lot of choices. I felt like things happened to me. I wasn't in control of a lot of the stuff. Like, well, I married this guy. I didn't even know he was an alcoholic. And then he started drinking a lot. And then what am I supposed to do? I mean, you know, there was a lot of almost like just me complaining to a lot of my friends who really couldn't relate and then feeling sorry for me and me praying and praying. Like one time I prayed, God, if it means that I have to have cancer and die for him to stop drinking, then just please let him stop drinking. I mean, just like now it's almost like it's pathetic and kind of funny that I would do that. But, but you know, I understand when new people come into the program and they say things like that and they're crying a lot. I get it because when you're dealing with situations like that day in and day out and it's affecting you so negatively, but you have no idea how to get out of it. And you also feel conflicted because you have positive feelings for the person and you love them, but you also hate the effects that it's having on your life or maybe your children's lives or whatever, then it's just hard. You know what I'm learning from this conversation that's really interesting? And I mentioned this actually in the introduction, which is this space that you're talking about of being stuck and not knowing how to get out of it, I completely relate with. And my path out of it is different than your path out of it. But the fact that a path shows up to help guide you out of that dark space. So with my story, having, gosh, I don't even know how many years it was, 20 years of three involving three marriages and three divorces and feeling a lot of failure around that and a lot of shame and having a lot of traumatic things happen during those times, abuse and affairs and pornography addictions and abandonment, you know, just really big things that had caused a lot of heartache, a lot of heartache and a lot of cynicism and actually 
I had a boyfriend after that that was an alcoholic. So, you know, I was taking him to meetings and, you know, picking him up out of jail and, you know, all, all kinds of crazy things. But it had made in me a lot of, it had created a cynicism and a mistrust for men. And, and as much as I wanted to have a healthy relationship, there was just things, you know, I, I relate with what you're saying. There is a sense of victimhood, not that we necessarily wallow there, but this this happened to me and I had no control over it. You know, this came up and it was somebody else's choice to bring this really negative and painful thing into my life. And, you know, what could I have done about it? And literally, I did not know how to get out of this space. And I knew that everything I had tried hadn't worked. I knew that I was in a corner. I could see I was self-aware enough to know that I was a little bit broken and that I was stuck up against this wall, but I didn't know how to get out. And so when my friend came into my office one day and said, hey, I have just been to this workshop and you really need to go because you have to work through your issues on men. And I trusted her. So I just did, but I did because I knew I was stuck and I knew that I didn't know my way out. And it sounds like this 12-step program for you is the similar thing. It's the light on the path forward of how do I heal and how do I forgive and how do I move forward in a way that is helpful and better than this mire that I'm sort of stuck and wallowing in here. How do I get a better vision? So, what I love about this and the reason I'm breaking into this whole description is because for each person out there listening, their life story and as the protagonist in their story, their antagonist and the things that they are up against, the really tough spaces are all going to be different. They're all going to look different. But the idea, like I'm a real proponent of my next level training because of what it did for me and what I've seen it do for hundreds of people. And you're a real proponent of your 12-step programs because of what it's done for you and what you've seen it do for hundreds of people. And I know there's probably lots of other paths out there, but that's the thing that's exciting is that whatever your story is, when you're stuck, don't give up. Like Watch and find that there are going to be a lot of different paths, and there's one that's going to be right for you to help you find your way out of whatever that dark swamp is that you happen to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think another part of recovery for me that was attractive was seeing the characteristics or sort of the like character assets of the people in the program. And they were things that I aspired to or that like on my best day, maybe I could display, but in my behavior, but on a regular basis, the best that I could do was probably fake it. Things like being patient or being really honest, trusting other people, like you mentioned, I couldn't trust anyone. I did not, at my core, I didn't even trust God. And, you know, having a real relationship with God, like really believing the stuff that I have been taught my whole life and the stuff that I even said that I believed, I didn't actually believe that stuff. I didn't act like I believed that stuff. I had become like so stoic because I think it just protected me from getting my feelings hurt. Just so many of those traits, the people that were in the program, they exemplified that stuff on a regular basis. And as I got to know them and listened to what they said, and they told stories that backed it up, it wasn't like they just spoke in abstract terms, but really like, this is how I got closer to God, or this is how I allowed God to restore me to sanity. And they would tell like this beautiful story of, you know, like one guy has told this story about 
needing to see a miracle or, you know, asking God for something crazy and then getting like an immediate answer and seeing, you know, this crazy thing that he had asked God for, like a sign, and then having like multiple signs just appear like right in front of his house at one time. And and we all have stories like that. Everybody who's in the program, if they stick around long enough, gets stories like that of their own lives. Because, you know, like in the big book says, it says God does not ask too hard terms of those who seek him. And I've found that absolutely to be true for me. And even after I started working the steps and was in the program for a while, I still had a hard time like making my actions match what I really wanted to be or who I wanted to be because I just had old patterns of behavior to break. And that seems perfectly normal because growth and stretching and creating new patterns and new habits and especially new ways of thinking, that takes time. That takes repetitive effort and time. Can you um, share, let's say, two of the main things that you've learned and gained from that 12-step program? A couple examples. Yes. So I would say one is a big one is the ability to choose and like the awareness that I constantly have choices which has just removed that victimhood or self-pity thing from me. I used to always say, and I'll still say, like, I used to be just the absolute queen of self-pity. And I enjoyed feeling sorry for myself and wallowing in that. I didn't know that I really loved it at the time. But now looking back, I can see I I probably got something out of that. And it was kind of a coping mechanism for years because there were a lot of bad things happened to me. You know, like you mentioned at the beginning, the sexual assault experiences I had shared with you. And, you know, I didn't tell my mom about that for years until I was 32. So, you know, keeping some of those really dark, traumatic things, which in those cases, okay, legitimately, we can say I didn't have a choice in that. (laughs) But keeping a lot of those hard things secret can create a situation where you have, you need to feel sorry for yourself just to soothe yourself. But I kind of took it to extremes. And then in every situation, even if I did have a choice to choose something better and I hadn't, I would still just feel sorry for myself. And so I think the program really has helped me to be aware that even in situations when something bad happens to me, somebody does something and wrongs me or whatever, that the choice there may not be that I can prevent it or stop it, but I can choose how I'm going to respond. Absolutely. I don't have to react emotionally. I can choose my response all the time. And I can choose what's going on inside of me because I can let feelings pass through me instead of just holding on to them and being resentful. I can choose to forgive. And then with that power to choose has come for me another part of that, which is the practice of gratitude. And that has completely transformed my perception of life because I started practicing gratitude because my sponsor told me to, because I guess I was too negative and cynical. (laughs) And she made me write this very unique gratitude list every single day for over a thousand days. And at first I hated her for it. And then when I started seeing how much it was changing the way I looked at my life and at things around me, and even, you know, situations that were really bad, like a negative marriage or divorce or a bad job, then I realized that it was really powerful, a powerful habit. So I love that you bring those two things up because choice and understanding our power to choose 
and gratitude are such powerful, empowering, inspiring concepts to understand. And they do change everything. One of the things that we work on at Love Your Story is the idea of reframing. And when you, like you said, you take any of those uh, bad marriage and abuse, whatever it is, and you reframe that and are grateful for the things that you learned or the, you know, where it projected you into moving you forward. Or, you know, there's, there are many things that we can find to be grateful for, even if it's just the experience that taught us something that we didn't know before. And with that reframe, you see and feel your life differently. There's less shame, there's less failure, there's less regret, and there's more appreciation for the learning and refining process of living. And, you know, Oftentimes, it's not it's not something that you do when you're in the midst necessarily of, sometimes it is, depending on how healthy and how strong you are when you're in the midst of something hard. But when you can, and as soon as you can start reframing it, it changes everything because your reality is all inside your head. So, you have complete control over what that reality is. And both of those things that you brought up, gratitude and the power to choose, are phenomenal. Thank you for sharing those. Probably just the overall thing that I've taken away from it, which is why I'm still, this is probably the thing that keeps me going to meetings and keeps me working the program is that I never expected to have a greater relationship with God. I didn't even think I had a problem with that, which is probably just my ego, but (laughs) I just didn't expect that to be part of it for me because I already believed in God, you know, and the program talks a lot about a God of your understanding or a higher power. And I just thought I had that part, you know, in the bag. And it turned out that I totally did not because of my problems with trust. So, it's just amazing how that has totally changed and deepened for me. Also, like habits related to that because I didn't really have a good spiritual maintenance practice, um, like maintaining my spiritual condition. And I didn't see how that was could benefit me so much. So, man, I mean, really, that's made a huge difference in just my daily mood and my ability to not be a total jerk to people, (laughs) you know, to really set a good example, I think, for my daughter, too, of, you know, how to not just say you believe in something, but, but actually do it. It is so exciting to me when I see people who have come from the spaces, the unknowing, the bitterness, the small-mindedness, the darkness, the, you know, those spaces that they don't know how to get out of, and you see them heal, and you see them shine. And, you know, you have a light now. You have an understanding now. You have a way of looking at and sharing that's so much different than where you are. And seeing that in human lives is so exciting to me. Like, I just really impressed with your personal work and where you're at and the effort that you're putting in and the difference that it's made and who you are. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. Let's finish up with what advice would you give someone who has a loved one that is an alcoholic or an addict? I would say really get some help because you can't, you know, you can't control, manage, cure, really do anything to help that person as much as you wish that you could. 
So the best thing you can do is take care of yourself. You definitely have choices. So whether you choose to stay with that person or not is really none of my business. I would just suggest that you seek help to take care of yourself. And there are lots of avenues for that, whether you choose a 12-step program or a counselor or another sort of support group, you know, and a lot of those, the 12-step programs are free. So that's a good option. But a lot of counselors and other professionals offer some really pro bono services, or sometimes they're rated based on your finances too. So I've done counseling before and it was helpful to me. I would say I just get something totally different out of a 12-step group. So I would do that. And then I also did just want to say thank you to Tabitha Cavanaugh because she connected me to Lori to talk about this podcast. And I'm just grateful for people like her who connect people. And, you know, that's one great thing about, I think, the world through my the lens of recovery is that I'm so much more open about things like this and willing to share. And I wasn't always like that. So, And thank you for being willing to share your story because these are personal, really, really personal spaces of the hard and sacred spaces that we walk to learn and grow. And Tabitha was on an earlier episode. So we got her story. If you haven't heard Tabitha's story off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly which episode it is, but she has a fantastic story also. She's a a real influencer. Do you have final thoughts about this idea of the various paths that people take to find their healing? And you know, one of the things you said to me when we were talking earlier was how your 12-step program had helped you forgive. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know, not having ever been involved in a 12-step program, I, you know, don't don't know what that involves, but there were many things for you to forgive. And I feel like it forgiving is often so difficult. So how did the 12-step program help you forgive? And what are your final thoughts that you would like to leave with people? You know, that's one thing that I think is people don't expect also about 12-step programs. I mentioned that I didn't expect it to deepen my relationship with God. And another thing I really didn't expect was that it would also help me heal from things that have nothing to do with alcoholism. And some of those things were related to sexual assault and PTSD. And like I mentioned, I had been to counseling, which is great. And it was helpful too in that respect. But the steps will take you through a obviously step-by-step process of healing through looking at each person that has harmed you or whom you have harmed and looking at, you know, do I, is this a place when I need to forgive or I need to make amends? And when you take your time through that and talk to your sponsor or someone you trust and then move on to other steps when you'll take action on that, then it really is powerful and and life-changing because a lot of us, and and when we're not in the program, and you know, I know what, what it was like for me before I was in the program, is I just harbored all of that. A lot of unforgiveness and resentment and hurt feelings, anger, bitterness, you know, or I just tried to bury it. And what I've learned about burying feelings is that they're still living. So when you bury something that's alive, that doesn't work very well. For me, it always comes back to bite me or haunt me or digs its way out or it pushes 
myself out in my life in an ugly way somehow. There's a book called Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. And it's actually a really powerful transformative book. But it talks about how when you bury those feelings that it can actually come out in physical maladies that you have, you know, your, your body will manifest those things. So what I hear you saying is that the 12 step program helps you to process those feelings and in processing makes it easier to forgive. Absolutely. And also, I think it's changed my perception of that process of forgiveness and making amends has helped me see other people as the same as I am. You know, even the man who raped me, I see him. I used to, one book that I read when I was in counseling talked about, you know, if you were faced with, you have two buttons in front of you and you push one and that person goes to heaven and you push the other and he goes to hell, which one would you push? And I like laughed like cynically when I was talking to my counselor, I was like, well, what do you think? But it's funny because after reading that book and then having kind of a epiphany about that, but also probably more through the program and not through counseling, I came to see that rapist as just a person who is very broken, has been molested himself and is a very sick individual, but is ultimately a child of God. So, you know, if I were faced with that same situation of two buttons and I had to choose, I'd probably just walk away because I don't want anything to do with that. And that's a huge change for me and a huge shift in my where I am spiritually today, you know, and to be able to pray for someone like that genuinely and just say to God, like, please give him whatever he needs. I have no idea what he needs rather than, oh my gosh, please punish him. And uh. you've really come to a tremendously healthy spot. I can tell just in our conversations, how healthy and centered and well-balanced you are with all of it. It's really impressive. So the program does, which, you know, you would think, what does that have to do with alcoholism? Nothing. But it has everything to do with applying program principles to everything that you deal with. And I think that's why we say, like, you don't ever graduate from the program (laughs) because it's like you just keep uncovering and discovering more stuff that you need to deal with. And I think that, you know, the God of your understanding, like, reveals those things to you. And then you see, wow, I still haven't dealt with that. I thought that I had dealt with that. It's an ongoing thing, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Which can feel frustrating, but it's also kind of beautiful because then you get to become more, you know, not just healthier, but like more of who you want to be. Yeah. No, I love because it's continued growth. It's forward movement. It's, you know, you get the really, maybe the darkest and most difficult, you get out of the worst of the muck, but you know, then you still want to refine and keep moving forward and wash off a little more of that. And, you know, I was just this morning sitting down during my morning meditation time and I was reading back on this year had been an up level for me and how I expected an up level to be almost like a gift, like, hey, you've made so much spiritual progress that now you get to live on this higher level. And as I actually, you know, began the process that I knew I was about to embark on, what it really turned out to be was just you become, you're hit with things that are hard for you to deal with. 
and that are challenges and your weaknesses are brought out so that you can deal with them. So, you know, up-leveling isn't necessarily like, oh, now I am, <laughs> now I've got all this figured out. It's just you get to work on the next level. And the beautiful thing in life is that it's a continuation of this. And if you stop, if you, if, you know, if you ever get to the point where you stop, then your growth has stopped. So, it's just this ongoing beautification. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being with us today and for sharing your personal story and your really sound insights. And for the listeners out there, you're getting all the animal noises. She has a rooster in her backyard and I have (laughs) my dog in the living room. So there's a little bit of, we have an orchestra, an animal (laughs) orchestra behind us. (laughs) So thank you so much, Bethany, for being here. Thank you. Support groups or counseling can benefit family members affected by someone else's substance or alcohol abuse. Alcohol abuse and alcoholism addiction can have devastating impacts on families. Spouses of people with alcoholic problems may be at an increased risk for emotional or physical abuse. If you fall into this category, know that you can find support for your own healing as your story unfolds with this particular battle. As the hero of our stories, we seldom pick the antagonists, the dragons, the Darth Vader's that will show up in our lives to teach us and challenge us. But once we embark on the battle, it is the wise soul who looks for resources to aid them in their fight to overcome the dark and rise again into the light. Your challenge this week is to find resources to help you in whatever your fight is. There are groups, programs, coaches, mentors, doctors, authors, resources to help and guide us, whatever it is. Maybe it's something that's, you know, smaller than alcoholism, or maybe it's something that's bigger. But there are resources, and we have through the internet, through social media, through our connections with friends and family, through our networks, there are ways to find those resources. And always, you know, sending up a prayer that God, the universe, whatever your religious bearing is, will bring to you the things that you need. And putting that out there is a powerful personal step to finding what that is. I hope this podcast has been one of those resources for you as stepping stone, but use everything you can find for your particular battle. This week, seek out just one. Don't forget to use the Love Your Story website, loveyourstorypodcast.com. All 140 plus episodes are available to listen to and to share. You can buy your Love Your Story t-shirts or get the link to Amazon to buy my book, Life, Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day, The 21 Life Connection Challenges. And heck, you can also go to Amazon and just type in life and Lori Lee and it'll pop up there for you. Have a great week taking another step towards self-love and the story you want to live. I will see you in a couple of weeks.